scripture reading tonight is from Genesis chapter 21, verses 14 through 20. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, Let me not look on the child, on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy, and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water, and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. The word of the Lord. Good evening, uh, and Merry Christmas. We're glad you're here tonight. Welcome. My name is Paige Severance. I'm a member here at All Souls, for those who may be visiting tonight. It's an honor to serve our family in this capacity. So thank you, and we are glad that you're here. Tonight we are going to finish the series that Doug has been preaching through Advent called Waiting on God in Liminal Places. To review, liminality is a term that defines a physical, emotional, or spiritual in-between Place. It is the edge of one's capacity. It's the edge of your understanding or the edge of your skill set. It's the edge of your knowledge. It's a place where you're not where you were and you're not where you want to be. Maybe some of us have traveled over the holidays. And so one way to imagine liminality is a long road trip. You've left the comforts of your home, maybe your soft bed or your favorite pillow or the chair you like to watch TV in, and you've set out on a journey, and you're not yet there. You have a destination in mind, but along the way, you're going to have to sleep in somebody else's bed. You're going to have to eat out of somebody else's refrigerator, and you're just going to have to feel the, the discomfort of the unfamiliar, Road trips are a great example of liminal places. Tonight, you and I also stand in a liminal place. We stand on the threshold of a new year. We are between the old year, and we are not yet into the new year. 2018 and all of its blessing and struggle are behind us, And the open road of 2019 is in front of us. So tonight, on New Year's Eve Eve, I invite you to take a sacred pause with me, not to rush through this liminal space for the sake of comfort and control and familiarity on the other side. 
Instead, I invite you to slow down. I invite you to go on a journey with Hagar through her liminal space, the desert. To begin, let me introduce you to Hagar. Most English pronunciations uh, pronounce her name Hagar, but for the sake of honoring this woman, I will attempt to use the Hebrew pronunciation of her name, Hagar. She is an African slave woman. Those three words define Hagar as a foreigner and twice legal property as both a slave and a woman. Unlike Abraham and Sarah, we don't really know where Hagar came from. She's a little bit obscure and a little mysterious. We know she's from Egypt, but we don't know her family of origin. We're given a lot more information about Abraham and Sarah. Jewish tradition says she might have been given as a gift from Pharaoh to Abraham and Sarah, so maybe she came from the the house of Pharaoh. And we don't know where her journey ends. We're not told where she is laid to rest, like we are told where Abraham and Sarah are laid to rest. What we do know is that Hagar has no power of her own, except one thing. She is fertile. And in her day and age, fertility was a woman's power. Yet, even Hagar's fertility is not her own. It belongs to Abraham and Sarah. We first meet Hagar in Genesis 16 when Sarah, who cannot bear children, takes Hagar and uses her body to secure her own future by giving her to Abraham to bear a son. And I believe it's important to note that the biblical text does not give a voice to Hagar. All we hear are Abraham and Sarah's voices making the decision for Hagar. So Hagar conceives a baby, but Sarah grows angry and jealous, and she abuses her. The word abuse here is the same word used in Hebrew when the Bible describes how the Egyptians harshly treated the Israelites. It was severe abuse subjected to the abuse of her body inside and out, pregnant Hagar Hagar flees into the wilderness to escape her oppressor, Sarah. In her first wilderness experience, three very important things happen to Hagar that we must remember. She is the first in the Bible to see the messenger of God, the Melech Adonai, the angel of the Lord. She is also the first woman in the Bible to receive a divine annunciation of a promised child. And with that, she is promised to become the matriarch of a nation. This audacious divine promise elevates her to the status of Abraham and Sarah. And in this encounter with God, the God who reaches out and gives this promise to her, she is the only person in the Bible to name God. And she names him El Roy, the God who sees me, or the God of seeing. In Hagar's first desert experience, she encounters the presence of God and she receives a very difficult message, one that is hard to comprehend. She's told by God to return to her slave owners, Abraham and Sarah, and she obeys. She returns and she births her child 
Ishmael. Fast forward many years, and Sarah conceives and births Isaac, her promised child, and all of a sudden, Hagar is of no use to Sarah anymore. It's interesting in Genesis 16, when she needs Hagar, she refers, Sarah refers to Hagar as her maidservant, but now, in chapter 21, she refers to her as her slave, and she tells Abraham to cast her out. Abraham hesitates. He's not so willing, but God tells Abraham, yes, listen to your wife, cast Hagar and the child out. Verse 14, so Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and skin, a skin of water, and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with a child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the land of Beersheba. We don't know anything about Hagar's relationship with God between her first and her second desert experiences. All we know is that the second time in the desert, it seems as if God has abandoned Hagar. Maybe it's obvious, but a land void of resources is the last place a young mother and a child should be. Yet, this is where our text picks up tonight with God sending her and the child into the desert. Just as God sent Hagar and then Israel and Jesus into the desert, you may also find yourself wandering in a desert you didn't choose. Maybe you went through one this last year. Maybe you discovered one or stumbled into one without any warning. Our desert is any situation of stripping or of hopelessness, of chaos. It's a place of solitude and loneliness. It is where God sends his people, but it's also where God meets his people. What happens next to Hagar emphasizes how liminal spaces strip us of our resources and our capacity, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. Verse 15, when the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. And then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. As barren and dry and desolate As the desert she wanders in, so is Hagar. Physically, she has run out of the very thing she needs to survive, water. Physically and emotionally, she distances herself from the thing she loves the most, her child. Physically, emotionally, and spiritually, she is hopeless, in despair, and she lifts her voice, weeping. How have you become barren like the desert? It might be physical. You might have recently lost a loved one. You may have lost your job this last year. If you're currently struggling with a physical ailment, you are in the desert. Maybe you're barren emotionally, especially this time of year when so many suffer from depression Maybe it is a mental illness, or maybe it's anguish because you're having to make a very, very difficult decision. Maybe 
your barrenness is relational. The holidays seem to take a highlighter and highlight the distance between us and the ones that we love so much. Or maybe you just desire to share the new year with someone you love, and yet you are very lonely. Whatever your barrenness looks like, Hagar teaches us that this is a very real and human experience. In her despair, Hagar reaches for the grave. The text says that she puts the child under the bush to die. And the Hebrew word here is teshlik. It actually means to fling or to cast that child off of her. I encourage you to just pause for a moment and let that sink in. Maybe close your eyes and try to imagine, just for a moment, a small child withering from the desert sun, unable to escape the heat, the sand blowing in his eyes and clinging to his mother with all of the strength he has left in his weak little body. And the very thing that he finds comfort in, he is cast away from and left to die. I learned from Hagar what it means to become barren, like the desert, to reach for the grave emotionally or physically or spiritually. Priest and prolific author on the spiritual life, Henry Nowen, says that the desert is a place of conversion, not in the evangelical born-again way, but in the death of the old way of living. You see, Ishmael embodies the old way for, for Hagar. He represents her slavery, her oppression, her abuse. But Ishmael also represents her future. He embodies her divine promise and her freedom. And so as we sit here with Hagar in her liminal space, we can feel this great tension. She chooses to cast off what feels like certain death, but she is also sitting in opposition to watching her son, her future, and her promise die before her eyes. Body language tells us more than most forms of communication, and Hagar's body language communicates her unresolved opposition to her situation. She is witnessing her baby die, and she is not okay with it. She is not okay with her future withering up in the desert sun. When she cast Ishmael off, the Hebrew text says twice that she sits down, that, that means literally in opposition The text reads, when the water was gone from the water skin, she cast the boy under one of the bushes, and she went and sat down herself, in opposition. She went and sat down, for she said, I will not look upon the death of the boy, and she sat opposite and lifted up her voice and wept. This is not a let go and let God surrender moment for Hagar. When we are wandering in liminal places in our own deserts, it may feel as both our past and present and future are dying simultaneously. And it's okay to be in opposition. It's okay to be in opposition to a failing marriage. 
It's okay to be in opposition to your chronic illness. It's okay to be in opposition to infertility. It's okay to be in opposition to watching a child be bullied or suffer or struggle with a learning disability. In the desert, when we have run out of resources, when we're out of answers, when we're out of capacity to deal with a situation, it's okay to sit in opposition what feels like death. Many of you uh, know and have been praying for my mom over the last six months after two heart attacks a week apart and then followed by septic shock and then 13 days on life support. My mom is still miraculously with us and she's recovering well. And I believe that's because of the prayers of many people, including many of you here tonight. But I remember a Wednesday back in August when the doctor said for the family to gather because by Friday we would know if we would be burying my mother. My family had 72 hours to come to terms with the reality of my mother's imminent death. And so we did. The family gathered around and we tried to comfort each other and wrap our brains around what was happening. And my dad very stoic and pragmatic from his years in the military, he asked my sister if she would help him pick out my mother's funeral clothes in case she would need them by the weekend. And my sister refused. No. She sat in opposition in that moment, and she refused to accept my mother's death. There was nothing we could do There was nothing the doctors could do. It was out of our control. We had no answers. We were in a liminal space and out of control. We were preparing for the worst. And as my mother reached for the grave, my sister sat meh-neged. If you are wandering in a desert tonight, I want you to know that you're free to scream, you're free to cry, and you are free to question. You have permission to be in opposition to what feels like an emotional, physical, or spiritual grave. Maybe you're not in the desert. And I hope that you're not. But there's a good chance that you're walking with someone who is going through their own desert. If you haven't already you will hear their cries of opposition. One Christian writer says, when we hold liminal space, we are willing to hold that kind of scream, to witness it and not judge it or resolve it. We are willing to be both in the darkest and lightest of places with each other, to be alongside that kind of anguish and terror. We are willing to crack open and be at our rawest and most vulnerable, and we are willing to hold each other in that unresolved place. The Bible says that the primal screams of Ishmael catch the Almighty's ear, and Hagar encounters the presence of God in the desert a second time. Verse 17, And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? 
Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the skin with water and she gave the boy a drink. Hagar's Hagar's opposition to what is happening is captured in her cry. And in that moment, she hears a divine message. God comforts Hagar by reminding her that her future has not been forgotten, nor will it die. God reminds Hagar of God's faithfulness. And after her eyes are opened, she sees a well of water, and we get a verse packed with verbs. She went, she saw, she went, she filled, she gave drink. She rediscovers her agency, and she moves towards hope. I learn from Hagar that being in opposition means being able to perceive the possibility of a reality different than the one staring me in the face. I learn that being in opposition means being able to perceive the possibility of a reality different than the one staring me in the face. I learn that hearing God's voice in my own desert is about remembering God's faithfulness and acting with radical hope. Where has God been faithful to you in 2018? Where did you encounter God's presence? Where did you feel the Spirit move? Where were your eyes opened to see His goodness and His provision? I encourage you to write it down, to paint it, to sculpt it into your memory. Remember God's faithfulness. We stand together tonight on the threshold of a new year. We stand together in liminal space. Is there something that feels oppressive or that feels like death? Where are you sitting in opposition? Is there an old way that you need to cast off in 2018 so that you can encounter the full presence of God in 2019. As we stand here on the edge of a new year, I invite each of us to shed anything that restricts us or hinders us from encountering God's presence. There is a beautiful Jewish New Year ceremony that celebrates how Hagar's story teaches that we should cast off anything that restricts us from encountering the presence of God. It is called the Tashlik Prayer, and it is said on the Jewish New Year near a body of living water, water that supports life, where fish swim and plants grow. And it reminds me that Jesus is our wellspring of living water. John 7.37 says, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. And so as we close tonight, 
remembering that Jesus is our wellspring of living water, will you join me in this ancient prayer of casting off as we say goodbye to 2018? Let us cast away the sin of deception so that we will lead no one in word or deed, nor pretend to be what we are not. Let us cast away the sin of vain ambition, which prompts us to strive for goals which bring neither true fulfillment nor genuine contentment. Let us cast away the sin of stubbornness, so that we will neither persist in foolish habits nor fail to acknowledge our will to change. Let us cast away the sin of envy, so that we will neither be consumed by desire for what we lack, nor grow unmindful of the blessings which are already ours. Let us cast away the sin of selfishness, which keeps us from enriching our lives through wider concerns and great sharing and from reaching out in love to other human beings. Let us cast away the sin of indifference so that we may be sensitive to the sufferings of others and responsive to the needs of people everywhere. Let us cast away the sin of pride and arrogance so that we can worship God and serve God's purpose in humility and truth. Amen.